0: What's up, guys? Rick here with a preview for the 2022 golf year. I can't believe it's already happening. The PGA Tour and really golf in general worldwide is so deep right now. There are so many great stars, so many great up-and-coming young players, and who knows, maybe we'll even get a little Tiger Woods sighting in 2022. Um, I I try not to plug this too much, but you really should go sign up for my website, rickrungood.com. It is one of the largest golf databases on the planet that is geared towards uh, fantasy, betting, and just deep dive statistics. It's a massive database and the visualizations will hopefully make your research process much easier. And there's going to be a lot of new great tools and visualizations in 2022. So go ahead and sign up for that. In this uh, preview I'll go through actually last year, because we'll use the foundation of what we saw in 2021 to look forward to 2022, see if we can find some breakout candidates, talk a little bit about the unique uh, schedule, because there are some differences this year, and see where else this goes. But let's jump into it, previewing 2022. Okay, this is a power ranking system that will debut as the calendar turns to 2022 on rickrungood.com. This is, uh, every round uh, by every golfer on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the Corn Fairy Tour, the Champions Tour, and you're going to be able to kind of filter by a lot of different pieces of criteria, how many number of rounds you want to see, the breakdown into the strokes gain metrics, all that good stuff. And I have it in both the raw version, which is what you're looking at right now, and I'll show you the weighted version. Yeah, that's fun. That's new here in just one second. So looking back at 2021, and again, remember, there are some guys on this list that uh, played primarily on the Corn Ferry Tour, so I'm just going to skip over some of those guys, but uh, John Rahm in 2021 gained about 1.9 strokes per round on the field. It's a massive number. It's not only a massive number, but the three-tenths of a stroke to the next best golfer, Patrick Cantlay, is... Kind of crazy to put that into perspective. The difference between Rom at one and Can't Lay at two is basically the difference between Can't Lay at two and Louis Ustazen at eight. That is far and away John Rom being the best player on the planet. You can argue the wins, right? Wins are very fickle, and he had a six-shot lead at the Memorial that he did not get to finish. He also had that impact his you know points going into the playoffs. So y- we can debate wins it's a fickle game. Uh, Strokes gained metrics are the best metrics that we have available, showing us John Rahm in 2021 was by far the best player. A couple of other things that I found notable here, and I had mentioned this throughout the year um, a few times in preview videos, but Paul Casey was seemingly one of the more underrated golfers when it came to American-based DFS, American-based wagering, because his strokes gain metrics, while good, did not even take to, into account uh, the 19 rounds that he played on the European Tour, which also resulted in a victory. So if we remove Taylor Moore and his Corn Fairy numbers, it's Rom, it's Cantlay, and then it's Paul Casey who gained the most strokes per round, 66 of his rounds coming on the PGA Tour, 19 of them coming on the European Tour. But to see him ahead of Victor Hovland, Daniel Berger, Louis Ustazen, uh Jordan Sp- I mean, literally everybody, but John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay was a little bit surprising to me and something that I'm going to want to keep an eye on as we turn over the calendar, especially if Casey does go back, play some of those events in the Middle East to kick off 2022. Maybe he will provide uh, some value that most of the American-based um, wagerers and handicappers might be overlooking. Because I have this broken down by each of the um, strokes gained metrics, we can find some interesting nuggets here. So I uh, already talked about Paul Casey. Paul Casey, Justin Thomas, and Colin Morikawa are the only full-time PGA Tour players in the top 15 of the power rankings or in the top 15 of strokes gained for 2021 that lost strokes putting. Well, Off the top of my head, how many wins did these guys have combined worldwide, right? Um, You know, Morikawa, a couple of victories. Uh, JT, the Players' Championship. Paul Casey, the European Tour victory we talked about. That's a really good indicator for guys who might be more volatile. You might get a 45th place finish and a win, and then a second and a 60 second, right? That The ability to just get hot with the putter uh, kind of gives you these high ceiling upside golfers because they were so great in the rest of their game. If they just putt okay for a week, victories come. So I don't think it's a surprise To have those three names, guys that won however many combined tournaments together, are the only three that lost strokes with the putter uh, and played full-time in the top 15. I I think that is fascinating and something we're going to want to keep track of as we head into a new year. As we break down some of the different categories here, I think there's a couple of of notes. It it cannot go without saying the math problem that Bryson is adjusting uh, and and trying to gain as many strokes as he can with the driver and not having to be as good everywhere else, it seems to be working. In 2021, he gained 1.09 strokes off the tee per round. That is a full quarter of a shot better than Anyone else? Uh, Austin Smotherman was actually second, and he only had ten measured rounds. John Rom would have been next at .78. So you're talking about what three, nearly four tenths of a stroke uh, better than John Rom. That is essentially the gap from Bryson uh, to John Rom. Is essentially the gap from Rom to let's see here. Jeez, um, it would be like. Joaquin Neiman, who would be like 25th on this list. It's 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 that big of a gap. couple other things. I like to focus on guys that can individually gain a lot of strokes off the tee and a lot of strokes on approach. Those are the more consistent stats um, from day to day, from week to week, from month to month. Putting much more volatile around the green because it is a counting stat and not everybody has to take advantage of It can be very, very skewed. So I like to look at the ball striking categories. There are only a handful of golfers that were able to gain a half a stroke off the tee and a half a stroke on approach over the course of the year. Bryson was not one of them. Now, he got there differently, right? He changed the math problem, 1.1 off the tee, uh, nearly 0.2 on approach. But the guys who, who, who checked that box for a half a stroke, at least in both of the ball striking categories, John Rom, he's number one, um, Victor Hovland on that list as well, Corey Connors, and Patrick Cantlay. I believe that is the entirety of the list. Mito Pereira would be the other one. Now, he does not have as many measured rounds as those other names that I mentioned, but that, to me, as I scan through this, looks like the entire list. Uh... That's elite ball striking. That is going to give you a very solid baseline and then allow you, you know, if everything goes right in the short game or you don't have to be great in the short game, to find yourself near the top of the leaderboard. So, absolutely, um, those are certainly names that I could not be more bullish on. Again, Rom, Victor, Corey Connors, uh, Patrick Cantlay. Who was I mean? He was across the board. His metrics were absolutely insane. Uh, and then Mito Pereira would have been those guys. Now you can you could throw Morikawa in there, who's very close off the tee and way better on approach. I know it's a math problem, but these are the types of golfers uh, that really really excite me for the new year. It's worth noting that if we shorten the time frame here and go to the last 40 rounds, so that's about. Oh, I don't know, eight or nine, maybe 10 events, probably 10 events for most guys if you've made the cut, if you played four rounds. Um, the final 10 events, you start to see some more interesting names. This is kind of like a uh, who's trending way to look at it, right? So John Rom's going to continue to be there. Patrick Cantley was phenomenal. Would you have guessed Cam Smith would have been the third best um, uh, full-time PGA tour player, gaining 1.4 strokes? Uh, to the field. I think you could have given me a lot of guesses there and I wouldn't have come up with Cam Smith. Seamus Power, number five. Would you have guessed that? Sam Burns is number six. Um, DJ gets himself back in, into like the top 12. He was 11th. It, th- this is, to me, a couple of candidates to look at and say, okay, are we undervaluing these guys? Are what they're doing over the last 10 tournaments, which is a pretty significant period of time, is that going to carry its way into 2021? Um, Cam Smith, phenomenal on approach in those 40 rounds. Uh, Again, probably would not have expected that. You kind of think he's a short game specialist. And while he putts well, he was excellent on approach. Maybe he's someone that as he goes back to Sony, as he goes to maybe the American Express, early in the year, you might be targeting Cam Smith as a viable uh, winning contender. Uh, And then Seamus Power, now able to pick his own schedule after the win in in 2021, what's he going to be able to do? He's been an excellent ball striker in his last 40 rounds. He's gained across the board. Sam Burns as well. I mean, these are guys that are, you're really excited to take the next step um, as the calendar turns and as we start to, especially at the at the start of the year, before Tory Pines, before you start getting some of these um, uh, much deeper, tougher fields. Like, could these guys go out and snag a victory? And then one of the things that I wanted to really work on for this year, and this is a calculation that is incredibly um, complex, quite frankly, and it, it, I've been working on it for a while and I'm happy to unveil it here as we start the new year. And this is um, weighted strokes gained. So I love the strokes gain numbers, but there is really no inherent difference between gaining two strokes on the field at the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship versus two strokes on the field at the Masters or the PGA Championship or the Memorial, where the field is much, much better. So the weighted strokes gain numbers, um, and I'll have them for each one of the metrics, but for right now, I'm just showing you weighted strokes gain total, it's critical right? It's critical to kind of tell you, hey, is this because he took advantage of a weak field, or is he constantly playing well against the game's best? And you'll notice how this list changes. Guys that played full-time on the Corn Fairy Tour, or for the most part on the Corn Fairy Tour, they drop off here drastically. You don't see them anywhere uh, really on, on the top 30 or 50 even in some cases. But John Rahm's still number one by a significant gap. Patrick Cantlay, number two. Uh, Louis Oosthuizen gets a big bump. He was ranked eighth in raw uh, raw strokes gain total. He is third in weighted strokes gain total. Bryson DeChambeau goes from 11th to fourth. Cameron Smith goes from 14th to fifth. Uh, Colin Morikawa goes from 12th to sixth. What does that mean? It means these golfers uh, played better than the field in difficult fields, right? Much deeper event. That's good to know. Look at Scotty Scheffler's jump. Scotty Scheffler actually surpasses Xander Shoffley when you weigh this by strokes gained, or when you do the weighted strokes gained total, by the strength of the field, by the depth of it. So this is a really cool thing that I'll keep an eye on, and you'll be able to uh, see on RickRungood.com as the year goes on, because I think it gives us a better idea of um, guys that are showing up in big events you see some guys who take a, a big hit here like Sam burns takes a big hit you know he goes from 10th to like 20th he didn't play well at the major championships um, you know his his win was at, a, at an event that wasn't a particularly strong field so this is this is kind of the next version the next step of strokes gained and making sure that we are uh, understanding it and 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 analyzing it properly uh because golf is such a unique animal where we get different players, different courses, different fields, different compositions every single week. It's 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 fascinating stuff. One of the games that I like to play before the start of a year is basically who's most likely to defend their title. Now, the answer is obviously Victor Hovland going for three in a row at Mayakoba. But uh, I, there is also one that stands alone from not only a statistical standpoint, but already what we know about the field. You know, it's hard months away. Some, some of these events are, we're a year away from uh, to know how a golfer is going to be playing, to know what the field might look like. But I, I've got one for you here, and it's Daniel Berger um, going back to back at, at Pebble Beach. This feels kind of likely. Doesn't it? Let's, let's start with Berger here. So uh, basically, he has not lost strokes on approach since his victory. Since that win, that was in February, mid-February of 2021. Every single measured event he has played since then, he has gained strokes on approach. That right there gives you a really strong baseline. Um, look at what he has done in some of the more difficult fields. A, a top 10 at the Players' Championship, a 8th uh, place finish at the Open Championship, a T7 at the US Open. He had three Excuse me. Uh, he had two top tens at majors, and if you throw the Players Championship in there, that's a third top ten out of probably the five biggest events of the year. Um, played well enough down the stretch. Played well of as he always does at the FedEx St. Jude T five there, deep field, and then finished his year off with a top ten at the Hero World, World Challenge. I know there was only like twenty golfers in the field. He finished T seven there. But all all of that is great, right? We know he's going to set up well for Pebble. We know the advanced metrics are in his favor but the one of the bigger storylines that is coming here in 2022 is the emergence of some of these other golf tours and uh the I guess what is now called the PGL as partnering with the Asian Tour and uh their kind of flagship event at the moment is the Saudi international now this is an event that uh gets a lot of golfers to go over and play because they get that cash homie they they pay them um to to go over there in appearance fees so as of recording this here are already the names that are committed to the saudi international and this is important because it's the same week as pebble beach which means these golfers will not be at pebble beach for daniel berger to have to battle all of these Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Graham McDowell, Abraham Answer, Lee Westwood, Tommy Fleetwood, Henrik Stenson, Kevin Na, Jason Kokrak, Bryson D. Shambo, Sergio Garcia, Terrell Hatton, um, Paul Casey, Shane Lowry, Joaquin Neiman, Xander Schauffele, Louis Oosthuizen, Adam Scott, Henrik Stenson, Henrik Stenson's listed on here twice. Harold Varner III, Bubba Watson, Johnny Vegas. You just listened to me rattle off a bunch of pretty good golfers that might have played at Pebble Beach, might have um, made it more difficult for anybody to win that event, they're not going to be there. And this list might grow, right? Like, who knows what this list is by the time we get to February, but um, it's setting up for Berger to have a much easier and more clear path. Literally, for... For anybody who plays at Pebble Beach this year, it seems like they're going to have a pretty clear path. I like the way Berger is setting up, so for for now, he is my most likely candidate to defend his title. Let's talk about some potential breakout candidates for 2022, and if you've been following me for any period of time, you know how bullish I am on Sam Burns, so I'll try to keep this relatively short. But what we have here is a golfer since basically the start of 2020, so we're going on two full years now, has been on an upward trajectory very, very quickly. And the reason for that is he is a incredibly unique combination on the PGA Tour of guys that can, um, one, hit it far, Two hit their irons very well and their wedges very well, and he putts. It is like a deadly combination. He is one of the best birdie makers that we have on tour, and his ceiling is higher than basically everyone. I don't have the full stat in front of me, but I had tweeted this out a couple of months ago. Um, Sam Burns gains five or more strokes in a round more frequently than any golfer on the PGA Tour. Uh it's good and bad, right? You're able to tap into the ceiling. Sometimes he has those poor rounds that stop him from winning golf tournaments. But if things shook out for Sam Burns uh, like they did for other guys in, in 2021, he could have had three or four wins. It, it's not that crazy, right? Final group at, um, at, at Tory Pines, he played himself out of it immediately. He was in the lead for the vast majority and onto the back nine at the Genesis. Um, he finally did win at the, uh, Valspar and he almost won the next week at, at Byron Nelson. Right. And then he wins Sanderson. Like if things go well for him, maybe it's five wins right now. That's, that's a big ass, but two, three, four, who, who who knows? Uh, but Sam Burns, were still very much bullish on, um, again I've talked a lot about Webb Simpson he had a very weird year guys have had um, you know we the last couple of years have been very weird with with travel and uh, virus stuff and and we know that uh, Webb had to withdraw from an event that he absolutely smashes uh, in his backyard with a neck injury and just like a lot of weird things happened to Webb Simpson last year I think he kind of get settled back in. There's always going to be four or five really good spots for Webb. He's someone that I have a really uh, close eye on for 2022. I'll give you a couple more here. Uh, One I had mentioned earlier when we were talking about guys with really great baselines that gain strokes both off the tee and on approach. Corey Connors was on that very short list of elite ball strikers on the PGA Tour. And this weapon that he has, the driver, he has gain strokes off the tee in every event since the Arnold Palmer Invitational. It's basically like, what, 18, 19 in a row? Something crazy like that. Great approach player. We know the short game is an issue. Maybe he finds a decent putting week once or twice and cashes a couple of tickets. It was a strange year for the perception of Corey Connors where everybody got really excited. Everyone saw the advanced metrics, and they said, okay, the win is coming. And it never happened. He didn't play well, or he didn't play poorly. He played well piled up top 20 finishes, but everyone just forgot about it. The, the advanced metrics are still there. The advanced metrics are exactly the same as when everyone was very excited about him six months ago. And just because we didn't get the win doesn't mean that Corey Connors played poorly. Again, wins are fickle. So Corey Connors is someone that I'm very excited about. I've mentioned a lot. Uh, this is the last guy. I, I mentioned these guys a lot because if you're following, you, I, I tell you how I feel, uh, but I'll give you a, an off the radar one in a second. Aaron Wise, uh, this is not the off the off the radar one. Aaron Wise, who was in last season, so season, not year, season, a top 25 T to green player. Top 25 T to green player. That is the second be- like the second best stat you could be top 25 in, right? The first one being strokes gain total. Um, the third one being like strokes gained ball striking. You're adding another facet to it. You're saying three out of the four strokes gain metrics, you're top 25 in in the world. That is already special. It's elite. The putter was horrific. Well, good news. He's back to the broomstick. He's back to the longer putter. Look at his results. So even from the PGA Championship, he played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven measured events. In those 11 measured events, he gained strokes with the putter in four, five, six, seven of them, which if we scroll down, you can see that is very uncharacteristic. He's usually a notorious loser in a big way with the putter. Now he still still has some bad weeks. That's okay. Still has some bad weeks, but we saw a bunch of top 20 finishes in, in the fall portion of the schedule. He's figuring this out. He's working hard on it. If he marries the putter with the tee to green play, that's the math problem. He solved the math problem. And then finally, um, Joel Damon would be kind of my under-the-radar flyer to kind of make a really big leap from barely inside the top 100 in the world to like top 50, which would be a a huge accomplishment. But finally getting uh, the win in Punta Cana in March, kind of allows you to free up a little bit, kind of allows you to pick your own schedule. I believe that's going to get him in the Masters um, because that was that was the rule that they had for it last year. So I believe he's going to get into uh, the Masters as well. But this is a guy that we're seeing really improve his ball striking in the last six or seven months. Uh, the approach play has been great off the tee, starting to gain two or three strokes more regularly off the tee, which is which is a really again valuable uh, statistic. He's always been a decent putter, and he putted well in 2021. So he's someone that I think can continue to build the confidence, can continue to take the next step. The advanced metrics are kind of just, it's showing us a little uptick, right? We'll see which direction it goes, if it continues on that path, but we're starting to see some early warning signs about Joel Damon having a really solid year. So um, that would be someone that I'd be keeping an eye on as kind of a flyer uh, as the calendar turns. Let's talk about the schedule real quick because there's a couple um, couple of interesting little nuggets here. Remember, there is only one World Golf Championship this year one they're kind of phasing these out it's the match play that's that's the only one you're not getting your standard four or whatever we would have um there is going to be an event in mexico it's going to be the mexico open that is not the wgc mexico or any version of that which is kind of interesting and then the wgc what x what used to be uh, FedEx St. Jude Invitational is now just going to be the FedEx St. Jude Championship, and it's going to be in that first slot of the playoffs. That takes over the spot for the Northern Trust. That event, not happening this year. So kind of just a little bit of a schedule update there to go with the uh, Scottish Open. So the Genesis Scottish Open, that's going to be the week before the Open Championship. That is now a co-sanctioned event with the European Tour or the DP World Tour, uh, which is what they're going to be branded as in 2022. So uh, that'll be exciting. Guys can get over there early. They can get um, you know, FedEx Cup points, full FedEx Cup points. And the Barbasol, which is the same week, normally the opposite field event. I guess it's still technically the opposite field event, but that's going to give a spot to the Open Championship as well, which is exciting. So you're probably going to get two better fields than you would normally get for the Scottish Open and the Barbasol individually. I think you're going to get two better fields. We're going back to Canada. St. George's uh, will be hosting the RBC Canadian Open. And speaking of hosts, the Wells Fargo Championship will not be going to Quail Hollow because that's the host for the 2021, er, which I guess is the 2021 President's Cup, which will be played in 2022. This whole scheduling thing has been just absolutely wild um so they're not going to use quail hollow for the wells fargo championship instead they're going to use tpc potomac so i think i made a, a one and done video where i set my my lineup for the entire year earlier and i and i started plugging guys in based on quail hollow and i overlooked the fact that uh the wells fargo is not going to be going there they're going to be going to tpc potomac uh instead so i think those are the big scheduling differences and changes uh the only other one is the bmw championship which you know has has moved around here recently uh is going to delaware wilmington the wilmington country club i think that's the only other kind of really big thing for the schedule into 2022 you guys, this is setting up to be an awesome year. Uh, there's a lot more data coming your way. There's a lot more content coming your way. The game of golf is in great hands. We have a lot of young studs. Maybe we'll see Tiger. Uh, we're going to find out about some of the things that I find are interesting. Like, like, what's the Ricky Fowler storyline for this year? That's going to be exciting to follow that. Bubba Watson, you know, guys that are maybe hanging on, maybe haven't had as much success recently as they would like. What's going to happen to them here in 2022? There's so much great golf. Let me know in the comments what you're most excited about. Comment below and you can also tweet me at Rick Run. Good. Here's to an exciting new year. Thank you so much for all the support. We'll talk soon.